please turn with me to John 14. And I have the privilege of really closing out our I am statements that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. We're going to read from John 14, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands." And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will will love them and show myself to them. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you this morning. We are so glad that you are here. We are so glad, Father, that you sent an advocate in your Holy Spirit. We welcome you to come just touch our hearts, this morning, open our eyes and ears to receive from you and everything that you want to do. Lord, just have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So in June, when Dave called me, Pastor Dave Lomas called me and invited me to speak, I was really excited and I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity and um, something I would just really enjoy. And then he gave me the scripture of I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I, to be honest, I was kind of a bit bummed. (laughs) I was kind of like, okay, and let me explain why. I grew up in the church. I have sat through a lot of sermons in my life, maybe like many of you, and I have heard this sermon so many times. I have heard this scripture said so many times, and it feels so familiar. And anytime you're asked to speak on something that you know people have heard a million times, you're like, oh, okay, like how can I bring something fresh to this? How can I bring it alive in a way that will make people like, oh, be like, oh, that's different, that's cool, that's a new revelation. 
The other thing about this scripture is that it's really restrictive. It's Jesus saying something that's it's very restrictive, it's very narrow. He's saying, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And anytime we're kind of faced with one of these restrictive statements from Jesus, it's like, okay, how do I feel about that? Like, is that really true? Like, Jesus, are you really the only way? And, you know, it kind of raises some questions with us. So I got off the phone, and I was like, okay, how do I feel about unpacking this? And then the Lord convicted me through my husband. <laughs> and... Um, He's like, Ruthie, my word is alive. My word is alive and active and it's breathing and it changes people and you don't have to do anything because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he takes my word and he makes it alive and I was like, okay, God, then you wanna do something? Um, let's just see what you wanna do. So over the last few weeks, we've been kind of reflecting over the I am statements. We've been looking over the book of John, and there's this interesting theme that we see through the book of John of Jesus reflecting back to the Old Testament, and a lot of us speakers have mentioned this. We've looked at Moses, and we've looked at the story of provision, and we've looked at I'm the bread of life and the good shepherd, and there's all this referencing back to the Old Testament. And that's really important because Jesus is doing that very intentionally. He is stirring up the people that he's talking to. He's stirring up the Jewish people and he's like, hey, remember those stories? Remember those prophecies about the Messiah? Remember all those things that you have grown up learning about and you have learned and you've sat and you've recited and you remembered? Remember that stuff because you know what? I'm here to fulfill them. I'm here to take all those prophecies, all the hopes that you have as the Jewish people, and I am the fulfillment. And that's what Jesus is. He's the fulfillment of those prophecies. He's the fulfillment of all the hope for the Jewish people and for all humanity. And what I love about Jesus is that he didn't just come and be like, hey guys, you know, a new kingdom is coming, heads up, like it's, it's on its way, like new things, like just, just look out. He was like, I am the one that's bringing that new kingdom. I am ushering it in. My presence right now means that something is shifting in the atmosphere, something is shifting in the world, and I'm bringing a kingdom. And it's a kingdom of life, and it's a kingdom of healing and deliverance, and it's a kingdom of intimacy. As you read through this, this scripture that we just read, um, the, men the word father is mentioned 15 times, just in that very, very small scripture. And throughout the book of John, it's just like father, father, father. It's just like popping out everywhere. And so when I say the kingdom of intimacy, what I mean is that Jesus, was, Jesus came to reconnect us to the father, right? Jesus came to restore something that was broken. And it wasn't like, hey, it's gonna happen. It's happening right now. And guys, I just really believe that even this morning, in this moment, Jesus is like, I'm here to restore and I'm here to connect you to the Father. This is one of these really strong themes through the book of John, connecting to Father. And the word Father is, it's an interesting word, isn't it? It's, it's really the language of relationship and it's the language of family. And the Jewish people were waiting for a king, right? They're waiting for a king that was gonna come. And this is one of the most amazing things about Jesus, about God is he is a king. He is holy and he's majestic and we just kind of stand in awe and worship around him and we are his heirs in that kingdom, but he's also a father, right? He's a father that is loving and attentive and generous and it's amazing to me that Jesus, that God can be both of these things. And so when Jesus came, he's like, hey, I'm the way. Basically saying, I am the way to the father. I am the way to reconnect to that one who fathers you and loves you and wants to be intimate with you. 
He makes references to making a home. So there's this invitation into, um, into this place of intimacy with Jesus. And you know what? This morning, like if this scripture is familiar to you, um, I really feel like God wants to make it alive in new ways. But if this is new for you, if you're like, I haven't even heard this before. I haven't even heard that Jesus wants to connect me to the Father of God. There is an invitation this morning. There is an invitation into this relationship with Jesus that may look different to anything that you've ever imagined. You see, the thing about God is that he only knows how to relate to us as a good father. He can't do it any other way. He is good. He is a good father. In Psalm 145, it says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. That is the, that is the father that we're talking about this morning. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. Some of us grew up being told that God is just angry all the time and we have to appease him. That's not the God of the Bible. He's slow to anger and he is rich in love. It just like oozes out of him. He can't help it. He can't help but relate to you in a loving way. He can't help but look at you and just be like, boom, I love you. Like, it's just like, that's his first response. Um, you know, I got the chance to go away last weekend, and, and it's always fun coming back to my kids. And, um, you know, you walk in the door, and my 15-month-old, he, he really loves the word wow, and it's very good for the self-esteem. Because I wake up in the morning, and he comes into my room, and he goes, wow. And I'm like... <laughs> Thank you. I receive that. <laughs> um, I mean, I receive it in a good way, not like a wow as an oh, like it's wow, you know. So I come home, and you know, and my five-year-old too, and they're just like wow, like mommy, we love you. And in that moment, all I have is love. Like that is the heart of a parent, right? I'm just like we run to each other and we have a great moment. And before long, they're way past it, and they just like want snacks and they want to, you know, everything they want to do. But I just can't help it. I, I just love them. And I am a human being that is fallen and just flawed, but I can't help being a parent that just loves. And that's how Jesus responds. That's how a father responds to us. He just, he cannot help it. And I, I don't know what you came in with church today. You're just like, oh, I had a, a bad night or a bad week, or you know, maybe there's just stuff going on in your life. And I just want to remind you that the father's immediate response to you this morning is love. He just can't help himself. The thing about the word father is, though, it is a very powerful word, isn't it, for many of us. Depending on our story, on our background, the word father can really stir up a lot of emotion. It can even stir up feelings of pain and disappointment. See, some of us hear that word and we're like, father, yeah, like, I've had such great experiences with that. Like, I can relate and I just, I want to wrap my arms around this idea of God as a father. And then some of us are like, that is a very uncomfortable word for me and I'm not sure what to do with that. And I would actually prefer a master that just dictates to me because at least then I know what I'm going to get, right? So many of us have experienced disappointment in our families. So many of us have experienced trauma and scarring. Like I said, I was away last weekend, and I was on my way home with one of my girlfriends. We stopped at a Mexican place. I love Mexican food. I just can't help myself. And we stopped, and um, we were sitting in this just a little Mexican restaurant, and a father and a son came in, and they sat right next to us. And um, they were there. They arrived after us. They left before us. And it was about maybe 20 minutes. 
And the entire time they sat there, the only thing that was said was when the father looked at the son and said, hey, do you want chips? And the son was like, no, no, it's fine. And after they left, we kind of looked at each other, me and my friend, and it was, it was really sad because of the distance that was between this father and son. And it didn't seem like they'd had an argument. It didn't seem like they were just having a rough day. It seemed like the norm. It seemed like this is just how we kind of coexist. There's just this distance, and we talk about what's necessary, but there isn't any intimacy. And for a lot of us, we can relate to that story, maybe. Maybe that was the home we grew up in. Maybe we just didn't have one of our parents around. Maybe our parents just had no idea how to invite us into an intimate relationship with them. And so when you come to church and you hear um, this, this talk about God being a loving father and we sing songs about God loving us and just sitting at his feet and just basking in that love, and many of us are just like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, I have no idea what it means to get intimate with God. Like, I, I struggle with my spouse. I struggle with my coworkers. I struggle with my own parents. How do I get intimate with a God that I can't even see? A lot of us are more comfortable with distance than we are with intimacy. But here's the thing. We have this amazing, loving Father, and his invitation to us this morning is to a place of intimacy. And, you know, sometimes we're like, okay, well, how do I make that happen, right? Like, give me the step by step by step of how I get intimate with someone. And it just doesn't work that way, does it? And what's great is that all I feel like the Lord is asking of us this morning is just to be like, Jesus, that's what I want. That's what I want, and I have no idea how to get there. And if you relate to that this morning, if you're like, that, that's been my life, that's been my story, I come into worship and I see everyone else lifting their hands and just so into it, and I just feel like this, this distance, this block, this morning I want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit, his job is to lead us into that place. In fact, that's what he loves to do. Um, in the scripture that we read this morning, Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you an advocate. This is one of the greatest things about Jesus, too, is that he does all the work. That's what amazes me. Like, he, he came, he made a way, he showed us the Father, he taught us, and then he said, you know, and now I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and his job is to lead you into truth. His job is to help you see that you are adopted, you are my children, and this is the kind of invitation that Jesus has for us. This is a, a hard thing this morning. And if you're trying to like wrap your head around it, I just wanna encourage you, like, yes, think about it and process it, but also say to the Lord, even as I'm speaking this morning, say to the Lord in your heart, yeah, I need this in my heart, Jesus. Take this to my heart. Family is a heart thing. So okay, we're talking about God being a father, and that sounds great and loving, but here we are with the scripture, and it's kind of restrictive. And it feels like, okay, God's loving, that's great, but here it is, here comes the rules, here comes the restriction, right, about that only through Jesus, and like, is that even true? Like, how do we feel about that? I, you know, I don't know about you, I, anytime someone kind of tells me this is the only way to do something, I, I don't get excited about that. <laughs> I'm kind of like, you know what, really? Because I think I could show you another way, <laughs> right? Like, and many, <laughs> that's just my pride, I'm sorry. But like, so many of us could like relate to that, right? Like, oh, you're saying this is the only way? Well, you know what, let me show you something different. And you know, San Francisco is 
we are so much that culture here, right? We are so creative and so innovative and so like everyone's doing a new thing, right? And, and that's a great thing, that's a great thing. Like we come here and we kind of want to forge our own path and we see someone designing something and we're like, that's a great app, but you know what, I could make it better and we make our own, right? Like this kind of this sense of like, I could create something really good, I can outdo you. Oh, you think that's the way to do it? That's a challenge, I could take that on. And so we have this like, sense of like, freedom that we want to have. Like, I remember talking to a friend that moved here to San Francisco and, a few years back, and she was just telling me all these things that she wanted to do now she was in this city. I'm going to have all these relationships, I'm going to have this great career, I'm going to leave my family behind, and all the restraints, all the things that people told me I was, I'm leaving that behind because I am in San Francisco, and I can do my own thing here, I can forge my own path. And you know what? Um, we just, we just like seeking out this autonomy, right? This like sense of like self and the success that we've built ourselves in. And you know, the culture has told us that this is what freedom looks like. You know, the word autonomy is really interesting. It's two Greek words that actually means a law unto myself. A law unto myself. You know, and that creativity and that innovation, that's a good thing. But the idea that it just comes without restraint, without restriction, is a lie, this idea that we can be satisfied by our own self-rule, that we don't need anyone else and we don't really need God, that we can kind of just forge ahead and make it happen. Some of us have prided ourselves on just pushing through, right? Everything's against me in life. People told me I couldn't do it, but I am gonna make a way. And like, we just kind of blink us on and we're just, we just go. And we think that we can just be by ourselves. We don't need to go through Jesus, to get to the Father, we can make our own way. And you know what? Many of us don't sit in church thinking this stuff. It's so subtle how it comes into our life. It feels like Jesus is just trying to limit our creativity. He's trying to restrict us. Really? Can it only be through the Father? What about if, through Jesus? Can, what about if I just do this and include this? And like, is it really all about Jesus? Well, in Genesis 2, we can look back at the garden and we can see what real freedom is. We can look back and see how it was when God first created us. We see God creating humans, male and female. And so he, he makes Adam, right? He makes a guy and, and he's like, you know what, let's, let's make them in our image. And you know, it's kind of cool as a parent to see yourself in your kids, I mean, most of the time, not always. <laughs> there are some things you're like, oh, but most of the time, it's really sweet to kind of look at your kids and be like, oh, I think he has my eyes, and that's kind of my laugh, and, and I can just imagine God as a father creating humans and being like, hey, let's make them so they look like us. Like, let's make them so that they reflect us. There's something of us that is on there. So he makes Adam, and then what happens? Adam's lonely. Adam has a need, and you know, this is so cool. God's like, oh, I'm attentive to your needs. Like, I know what's going on with you. So he creates Eve, right? And they're in the garden, and they're walking with God, and they have this relationship that is perfect. There's just this intimacy. They're naked, and they're unashamed. Guys, that is what God intended for us. There's a sense with God where we are vulnerable and intimate and we are unashamed because you know what? God is not into shaming us. Our Father is not into shaming us. And if you grew up in a family or in a circumstances where you felt shame, let me just tell you that is not from God. That is not his heart for us. 
But then, of course, that freedom, that real freedom was hijacked by sin. The enemy came in and deceived us into thinking that somehow there was another way, that we didn't need this intimacy with God, that we could just forge our own path. We're designed and created to be one with God, and we are destined to have an intimate, life-giving, and powerful relationship with him. There is a lie in this city that says that if you're a Christian, you're boring and uncreative, and let me tell you that you are your most creative, you are your most innovative, and your most powerful in your relationship with Jesus Christ, because that is exactly who you were designed to be. It's like looking back to the garden and being like, what is perfection? Like, how can I get in touch with everything I'm supposed to be, the very core of my creativity and my innovation and ideas? How do I get in touch with that? Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said. And so don't feel that oppression in San Francisco of like, oh, I don't know whether I'm ever going to be, I'm ever going to be. You will be everything you are supposed to be in your relationship with Jesus Christ. He made you. He designed you. He put every piece together. He knows you. So we are our most free in Jesus. This idea that, you know, we're free without restraint, it's, it's a lie from the enemy. When you look at the garden, we see they were in this exclusive, intimate partnership with God, and they were free. They were free, and they were beautiful. Some of us think that when we have this restraint from God, when Jesus says, like, I'm the only way, that somehow it's there to rob us. But it's not. Jesus is a giver, and he's not a taker. He's a blessing and not a curse. Here's the thing, though, guys. The devil is still doing what he did in the garden. The devil is still telling us that we can forge our own way. We can live free of restraints. We don't need other people. We don't need God. We can do it ourselves, and it comes in really subtle ways into our life. Jesus said in John 8, he's talking to the crowd, and this is what he says. He says, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies." This theme of father is heavy in the book of John, and I don't think it's a coincidence that in one moment Jesus is talking about his perfect, loving, heavenly father, and then the next he's referring to another father. He's referring to the father of lies, and I think what he's doing, he's contrasting for us, and he's saying, there are two fathers at work here, and we have the choice to choose who we want to build our life on. What do we want to believe? Who gives us the access to truth? You know, all of us think that we're building our lives on truth. You know, especially if we're, we're Christ followers here this morning, and we're like, you know what, I, I know God, I know Jesus, like truth, yeah, that's my foundation, I stand on it, I believe the Bible. But I just want to um, share something from my life, just as uh, a little example of, I think, what happens. I, I've had two kids, like I said, my last, my, my youngest, Phoenix, um, he came in, I, I delivered him 10 pounds, 5 ounces, Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, I do, because I deserve it. It was, <laughs> it was grueling. 
Ah, oh, the sympathy. Um, but yeah, he was a big baby. And let me tell you, that's like delivering a three-month-old, like legitimately, okay? So afterwards, I was, my body was a mess. Like, I could barely walk. I mean, not just like right after delivery, but like weeks later. I, my hips were all off. Like, it was so uncomfortable. Like, people would look at me and be like, oh, wow, what's, what's going on? And I'm like, you know what? Three-month-old. And, you know, it's just like everything was, everything was out of whack. And, and finally, I was like, I got to go see a chiropractor. So I went to go see a chiropractor, and things were definitely messed up, but I worked with her for a bunch of months, and she helped me kind of get back to this really strong place. I still see a chiropractor periodically, and, you know, sometimes my back sore. Maybe many of you do, you do and you can relate to that. And, and I go in, and she adjusts me, and we work on stuff, and I get up, and I'm like, gosh, this feels really weird. And she's like, yeah, because now you're straight. And I'm like, really, this is, this is what straight feels like? This is, this is like what it should be? And she's like, yeah, she's like, crooked was normal for you. Like, you didn't even know that you were crooked. And you know, this is so much what it's like in our Christian life. Like, when there's major things going on, like, us and those around us can be like, whoa, like, are you okay? Like, it just seems like you're really struggling with this, with God or with your prayer life or with whatever. But so often it's the little things. It's the subtle things that we're not even aware of. And then we get in worship and we get in the presence of Jesus and we're like, whoa, like, have I been kind of off in that? Have I not been believing truth? You know, many of us would be aware of the fact that, you know, we probably are aware of some truth now that we weren't six months ago, right? Like God spoke to us through a sermon or through our devotional or we just had this revelation and we're like, wow, six months later, I'm, I'm actually a different person. I, I know truth about God and I know truth about myself more than I did a few months ago, maybe more than yesterday, maybe in worship today, God was speaking to you. And this is what the Christian life is like. It's like we're growing, we're being transformed, we're changing. So what do these subtle little ways that we're kind of off in our Christian life, in our relationship with God, what do they look like? Well, they look like comparison and envy and jealousy. We look at someone, we're like, wow, I see the favor on your life. Man, you just succeed at everything, don't you? You're beautiful, you're handsome, you have a great job, a great family. And beneath all of that kind of junk that we all deal with is this lie that somehow that person is more loved than you are. That somehow God wants to bless that person and not bless you. Now, most of us aren't walking around thinking, gosh, God, you love that person more than me. But that's really the lie that's at the root of those feelings and those behaviors that we have. We embrace a workaholic lifestyle because we are so afraid that if we don't succeed, if we don't make a ton of money, if we don't make it, there will be nothing. So we work and we work and we work and we work and we drive ourselves into the ground and what's rooted beneath that behavior is this lie that, you know what, I have to make it myself because God's not going to come through because, you know what, my dad never came through, my mom never came through, my family never came through. If I don't do it myself, it won't happen. Instead of thinking, you know what, I have a loving Heavenly Father who wants so much good stuff for me and I can work hard but I don't need to destroy myself doing it. We refuse to step into everything that God has called us to because of insecurity and fear. 
We have these dreams and we have these visions and we want to be free in worship and we want to dance before the Lord and we want to go and build a business and we want to be a parent. We want to do all these things, but we feel like I can't do those things. I can't fully embrace those things because I'm so afraid that I'm going to fail. Instead of being like, Lord, you're calling me into these things and I can trust you to lead me. We're driven by obsession, addiction, compulsion, control issues and perfection because we don't know that we're loved by Jesus. We don't know that we're loved by God as a father deep in our spirit. See, at the root of our behaviors are lies that we believe about God and about ourselves. But here's the cool part, the Holy Spirit. This morning, God wants to free us from this stuff. And again, he's done all the work. And we can say, oh, Lord, I see this in my life. I see these lies. I feel like I'm sitting in like Holy Spirit chiropractor office and I'm like, oh, I am kind of off. I feel kind of funky. And I don't know how to straighten myself up. You know what? We didn't know how to save ourselves from sin. But Jesus came and died on a cross and he made a way. We don't know how to straighten ourselves this morning in the spirit. But the Holy Spirit comes and he touches our heart and he rearranges us and he sets us free. This morning as we were doing prayer at the beginning, I just felt like the Lord wanted us to know that the revelation of his love as a father for us, when we have a revelation, I don't just mean like, oh yeah, I heard that. I mean like a revelation, like it goes somewhere deep inside. That's the thing that will set you free. And there's some people here today and you are bound by addiction and compulsion and you're like, I don't know what else to try. Well, I would encourage you to try Jesus. Because the revelation of his love, it will literally shift you inside. It will change something. It will transform something. Man, that is good. And I love Jesus. He is so good to us. There is no life in deception, in those lies. There's no life in that. You know, two years ago, I was going through a pretty rough time, and I was dealing with some major comparison stuff in my life. I was looking at other people's lives and families, and I was like, you know, poor old me, and like, kind of really settling into that place of comparison, feeling unfavored, feeling unseen by the Lord. And one night I had a dream, and in the dream I was sitting at a table, and the Lord was sitting with me, and he said, the devil has nothing for you. And I woke up from that dream, and it was like a revelation to my heart. And I know it sounds so basic, as Christians were like, I know, I don't want anything to do with the devil. But he has nothing for you. The comparison, the jealousy, the envy, the addiction, the stuff that drives us, it's of the enemy, and he's got nothing good for you. But Jesus has everything. He is the fulfillment of our hopes and our dreams. He's the one that can free us. He's the one that can set us free. You know, we are bent kind of towards death, right? We kind of have this bent um, we're born into sin, and we're kind of, we're kind of bent toward, and what I mean by that is like, we're kind of in our humanity bent towards hope, hopelessness, and sadness, and just like feeling rejected, and just, you know, loneliness, and, and we enter into this relationship with Jesus, and we spend a lifetime of being transformed, a lifetime of learning what it means to abide with the Father, and if you're sitting here and you're being like, okay, like, I got to get this goal by the end of the year. I'm going to get this thing about being the beloved of God. It's going to be a lifetime and maybe into eternity of just knowing that we are so beloved, that that part of us just shifts towards this place of like, okay, I'm, I'm not abandoned. 
I'm not left as an orphan. I'm not unseen. I'm not unloved, that there is someone that loves me so much. He's that father that's so quick to just reach out and touch us with his love. Um, About 12 years ago, a friend of mine gave me a book. And um, the book is called The Secret Garden. It's a British book. And um, I remember I was traveling through Asia at the time, and she gave me this gift before, before I left, and I opened it up while I was, I was in Thailand, and I was like, okay, I mean, I thought this was like a children's book, but that's cool. Um, but I knew enough about my friend that she was sensitive to the Lord, and she'd given me this book for a reason. And I began to read this book, and I can honestly say it has really um, helped me in my Christian life. It's about this young girl, her name is Mary, she's 10. She's born to parents that don't want her. And she's left with nannies and caregivers and it's just very obvious they don't love her, they don't care for her. And um, eventually her parents die from cholera. I believe they were living in India at the time. And, And she's found alive in the home. Everyone else is dead, but she's found alive, but she's alone. And she's sent back to England to go live with her uncle, an uncle that she doesn't really know very well. And she's bored, and she's kind of moping around the house. And and one day, one of the people that works at the house tells her about this garden, and that the uncle had a wife who had passed away, and that she used to care for this garden. But after she passed away, the uncle locked this garden. It's like a walled garden. He locked the garden, and he buried the key. And so Mary gets really curious, and she's like, "Ha! Huh, I wonder, um, you know, I wonder what this garden looks like. I wonder what's going on." And I'm just going to read you a little excerpt from the book. It says, "What was this under her hands, which was square and made of iron, and which her finger found a hole in? It was the lock of the door, which had been closed ten years." And she put her hand in her pocket, drew out the key, and found it fitted the keyhole. She put the key in and turned it. It took two hands to turn it, but it did turn. And then she took a long breath, and she looked behind her up the long walk to see if anyone was coming. No one was coming. No one ever did, it seemed. And she took another long breath, because she could not help it. And she held back the swinging curtain of ivy and pushed back the door that opened slowly, slowly. Then she slipped through it and shut it behind her and stood with her back against it, looking about her and breathing quite fast with excitement and wonder and delight. She was standing inside the secret garden. And what happens is she enters into this garden and it's dead. Like it looks completely dead. Like it's winter, everything's kind of covered, there's not really life. It's not this glorious blooming garden. It's kind of like, wow, no one has kept this garden for 10 years. And I was reading this book, and the Lord started to speak to me about my heart. He's like, Ruthie, that's kind of like your heart. There are places in there that feel walled, and places in there that have been locked up, and you've buried the key, and you don't even want to look at them. And when you happen to glance at them, it just feels dead. It feels like it's just gone, like there's nothing there. And what's beautiful about this story is the whole book is really about her nurturing this garden back to life. And it turns out that, you know, it's kind of a representation of like her own heart and the grief and the loss of being an orphan. And she brings it to life. And she sees things grow that she thought she was, were dead. Guys, this is, this is like our hearts. Um, there are places in our lives, we look at them and we're just like, 
that will never resurrect. That was a dream, that was a relationship, that was something that I longed for, something that I hoped for, and it is gone. And it's almost like our hearts are covered in tombs with gravestones, and we kind of walk around, and some of us have years of them, right? We have decades of, whoa, like that was a relationship that failed, and that was a dream that I had. That was a business I wanted to start, but everyone told me I'd never succeed, and so I let it go. That was my dream for a family, but it just seems like it's never gonna happen, so let's bury that one. And like, we just move through life with these places of death in our heart, and we feel like, how am I ever gonna come alive? How am I ever gonna experience God? Because I feel so much death and so much loss and we gradually kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller and we just kind of self-protect. You know what? God is a God of resurrection. Jesus walked out of the tomb and I just feel this morning really strongly that Jesus wants to say to you, wherever your tombs are, wherever the things are that you feel like you will never get back, I don't know how it's gonna look, but Jesus is doing something. Jesus is doing something. He took Lazarus out of, that, out of that tomb and they unwrapped those grave clothes and there's something here today for you if you're like, oh, I just feel death and I feel loss and I feel grief and I feel disappointment. Some of us are just like weighed down by disappointments, like one thing after another thing. It's a failed relationship, it's a job loss, it's a housing situation that fell through, it's a financial crisis, we're in debt and we don't know how to get out. This is the stuff that Jesus cares about. When he came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it wasn't just for eternity. It wasn't just like, okay, one day things will be good, but for now, just hold on. It's going to be okay. That's not the Jesus that we know and we love. Jesus is into transformation. Jesus is in to coming and letting you know the Father loves you. The Father loves you with your debt, with your tombstones, with your fears, your anxiety. Jesus loves you with your addictions. He's just crazy about you, but he loves you so much he wants to free you. He wants to do something. There's an invitation this morning. If you don't know Jesus today, I just want to encourage you that he loves you. He loves you. I want to invite you to come forward for prayer as we close today, because you know what? I just, I really sense that there's some people here, there's someone here, and you've been thinking about it for a while, and you're just wondering if this Jesus thing is for you. I just want you to come forward and get some prayer. If you're sitting here today, and you're like, oh, like, man, I resonate with that distance thing. I don't know how to do that intimacy thing with Jesus. Come forward and get prayer. Maybe for some of you, it's gonna be coming and kneeling, taking communion and responding. If you're bound by addiction today and you're like, I cannot get free and I have tried everything, the love of Jesus can set you free and it might happen instantly or it might be a process. But take a first step today and respond and say, yes, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. I need you to come and free me. Let's take a moment and just close in prayer.